0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the uh, class on Colossians. Let's uh, let's let's begin with a word of prayer. Our gracious Father, I thank you for uh, the day. I thank you for this book that you have given us. It's a it's a letter from your servant Paul to this church in Colossae. And Lord, we thank you for the picture, the picture of the exalted, your exalted son that we see that's just uh, unique, and we thank you for its beauty. Lord, I pray that my, my words might be clear, that there's any error in them. Lord, I pray that you would guard people these who hear from them, and that I might speak truth. I ask your blessing on the day, in Christ's name, amen. Well, again, good morning, Colossians. Paul's epistle to the church at Colossae. We're going to go for nine weeks. Uh, Today is the fifth. We hope to be done by the thirty-first. If uh, I should need to take a vacation sometime this summer, or we've got a week to slide to the eighth without affecting the schedule that's coming on. Book of Colossians, four chapters, ninety-five verses, eight hundred and sixty-five words. Um, by my count, That's Greek. Greek words, yes, sir? It was kind of... It was daunting to look at that. So, anyway, we're we're moving along quickly. So, why? Why is Colossians pertinent to us today? Why is it a book we need to study? It's written 2,000 years ago. Well, I think there's at least five reasons... There's probably more, obviously, but there's five. Today is, a, today is the day that we live in. That is a day where the questions of origin are at stake, uh, even evolution. Very seldom do you hear of the created universe. You hear of the uh, evolved. They'll say created, but they really mean is evolved. And the question is, where did we come from? And I think the, the question is, we were created. And this book makes that statement and, and lays it out. It's a day where the uniqueness of Christianity, the uniqueness even of the church, is in question. There's many churches, there's many near-Christianities, there's false religions. And Colossians lays out that there is one church, there is one unique head of the church, and it is Jesus Christ. And it is only in Him that salvation is found. He is the unique one, the supreme one, the preeminent one. Y'all seen the little bumper stickers, right? Coexist right? Well, yes, we can coexist and we can be or tolerant is the other bumper sticker we see, right? But Jesus Christ coexists with nobody and that's what we will see in this book. Colossians will give us a filter, a grid with which to evaluate what we hear. We'll be able to evaluate statements of truth or fact or falsehood. It'll give us a grid that we can pass things through. It won't give us a this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong but it will give us a grid by which we can gauge other things what they say about Jesus Christ. It is a filter. To really appreciate Christianity, you need to keep in mind who Jesus Christ is, right? Do we need to keep the feast of the of the Jewish of the Jews down the street, right? To really understand Christianity, we need to we need to observe some of those those Jewish festivals. To really to really appreciate Christianity, right we hear that right right? do we, do we need that well we 'll look at that. Is there, is there a higher knowledge? Is there a, those that come to this class will get something that no one else will and we will really have the secret to Christianity, right? right A higher knowledge is in this, so you all make sure you can tell everybody else they, they come next week and they 'll have that deeper knowledge anyway, we, we all have questions about relationship right how we relate to our, to our spouse, our family to uh, people in our workplace, if you're an employer, to your employees, if you're an employee, to your employer. Colossians has something to say about that. It also has something to say about how to live now. How do we live in this present world? How do we view the material now with the immaterial et- eternal? Okay, Colossians will give us something to say about that. Well, we have the message of Colossians. I laid it out there in a little handout in the bulletin. Mm-hmm. Well, I said there's really it's twofold. The message of Colossians, the truth, and the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all things, must be proclaimed by God's people to all nations. I get that there at the end of chapter one, uh, there in verse tw- uh, twenty-seven. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of His glory, this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He said He chose to make it known how great among the Gentiles this was. So this is the truth of the preeminence of Jesus Christ should be declared by God's people. And not just declared in this building, but declared to all nations. Also, we'll see that the truth of the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all things must be practiced by God's people in all ways. That word all is showing up there. It shows up a whole lot of times in Colossians 2. It's the most frequent word outside of the does and the buts and those sort of things. It is is a... is a very frequent word in Colossians. All. The premise of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all things. Or, Paul says it this way in Colossians 3.17, that Christ is all, and He is in all. He is all that there is and needs to be. This is difficult to see. It's a a chart. i lay out a chart of the book. Paul's letter to the Colossians. You'll see, I've this is my stab at giving you a little bit of layout. Here's a copy of this. I'm going to set it back here in the back table. And you can grab it on the way out. Um, you'll see at the bottom we've got to divide it divided up into the nine weeks, and I'll give you a little bit of an outline of where we're going to go each week. We broke it up into uh, an area, the personal area up front is an area of doctrine. We'll do some teaching. Paul explains his service and his ministry. Weeks five and six, we'll deal with his argument or his polemic uh of what the cross accomplished. We'll look at the practical aspects for a couple weeks here uh, in late July, and then we'll wrap it up as we look at as Paul uh thanks his friends that are helping him and we'll we'll just look at a summary of the book. So that quickly summarizes letters of Colossians. Again it's in back for you to to look at. This week, an introduction and the greetings and verses 1 and 2, Paul's letter to the Colossians. It is an epistle. It is an epistle. What's an epistle? Well, first of all, it's a letter. It's a form of scripture that's unique to Christianity, though, in in, in that sense. In the Old Testament, scripture is law. God dictated it. He spoke it. He put his stamp. He sealed it and was delivered to the people. So to speak in the new testament it's grace writings by god's children written to fellows brothers and sisters inspired by the holy spirit dwelt within us gives us god's word for today in the new testament so the epistle is that it is a it is a letter for a purpose that is god's word to us typically they were dictated uh, they may well have been planned Laid out, there was some thought that went into them. The writer had a purpose in what he was saying. It was written to be read aloud, perhaps copied and transmitted. Okay? It wasn't necessarily or merely a personal letter. Even like the letters to Philemon and Timothy, Thomas, you get the feeling other people were meant to read them. There were instructions to be handed down. Uh Paul, of the, there's 21 epistles in the New Testament, 13 of them are by Paul, okay? Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament, right? Over 15 years, Paul wrote each one of his letters to the church, okay? And Paul began his writing career, as it were, 14, 15 years after his conversion on the road to Damascus. Uh, we believe that Colossians was written during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome, after his third journey. And we believe it's dated somewhere in the early sixties. It's part of what we call the prison epistles. During that imprisonment, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. If you were remembering the order, it's if the Galatians was there, it'd be go eat popcorn. Well we're we're in the eat popcorn portion of the New Testament. And we will deal with the corn, so to speak. Does Colossians belong in our Bible? Um, the short answer is yes. You will hear it here, perhaps, some people discuss it. Maybe it doesn't. And I just bring that up, that the church has long accepted Colossians. It's only in the last century there's been some scholars that know more than they probably should that, that have questioned it but they've questioned just in some very technical reasons. The bottom line is the early church accepted it from the very beginning. The early church fathers quoted from it as Scripture. Again, it's never seriously questioned. It's very similar to Philemon, which is obviously accepted as, as a book from Paul. Anyway, it, it belongs in our Bible It's part of our canon. The Roman world of the day, which is the slide is not real good, as you see it extended over here to Spain down to Morocco, what today is Morocco, all the way up through uh, Palestine, Israel, Judea, down through Egypt. Uh, that's the Roman world of the day. We are in the area of Asia Minor, as you can see. After this is, a, this is a map of Paul's third missionary journey. The Colossae is right in here. Ephesus is over here, as you can see on the not-too-well-lit map. Zooming down a little closer, Cappadocia, Glacier, the, the region of Phrygia is the area that uh, Colossae was actually in. There is the Lycos Valley, the, the, the Lycos River. Uh, ran through here. It tied into a little river called the Meander River. This is where we hear meandering along, it's a, it's a word we use now to describe the Meander River. You turn that back oh, on for me. This is Colosse today, and really up until just a few years ago, we weren't even really sure where Colossae was. This is a tell, this is the rubble that's left. Uh, it's a region that was very prone to earthquakes, and they had their way with it, and the whole area uh, has been leveled a number of times, and the last time Colosse didn't get rebuilt. The church, well, we can go back real, real quick. The church, Colossae, we'll see, but it was, it was founded by a guy named Epaphras, okay? If you, go, if you look at the third uh, missionary journey, Paul spent three years there in Ephesus. And Acts tells us that the, all of Asia in that three years heard the word of the Lord, heard the gospel. But Paul never got down to Colossae that we're aware of. He pretty much stayed in Europe. So people came. He spoke every day. Right, it was a hall. It was a city hall. He spoke in from ten to four o'clock in the afternoon. Some manuscripts say, and uh, he argued for the gospel. And I suspect that a young man of papyrus came to the Lord, and in his zeal he took it to the Lycus Valley. He, he was a Colossian and a Colossian, and he spoke the gospel and was birthed the church there in Colossae. Probably within the first five or six years after Paul left Ephesus. The occasion, well. Paul, the occasion for it, um, I would say, a heresy had arisen. A papyrus was diligently working to establish a church, and a, a false teaching came up, and it, it challenged the gospel. It had some issues of of Gnosticism to it. We think it had some had some portion of Jew, Jew, uh, legalistic Jewish. Uh, uh, parts to it and there was a problem and the papyrus really not knowing what to do went to his friend his spiritual father paul to get instructions on how to deal with this false teaching as a secondary occasion to it going back paul had a gentleman with him named philemon he was a slave uh, of one of the colossians and that's another book that we, I think we know about. It. And he, and not Philemon, Onesimus was a slave. Paul wrote the letter back to Philemon, asking uh, Philemon to take him back. Colossians, verses 1 and 2. Today's uh, what we will look at. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, the saints, and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is a very typical beginning to really the letters of the of the ancient world and, and all of Paul's letters. There was always a greeting, a word of introduction, where he would introduce himself. He'd identify who the recipients were. Then as you see, we'll go on to the book, there'll be a time of thanksgiving where he thanks or praises the, the uh, recipients for, for for something or the Lord. Then there'll be a time of or a portion of the book given over to doctrine or teaching Usually then there's a portion of application followed by a personal greeting and, and goodbyes. It's very typical flow as we go through the New Testament. And Colossians follows that to give you a broad and general outline. Paul. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. The author is Paul. The book sounds like Paul. It's consistent with the rest of Paul's writings. Um, He says nothing really new in Colossians, but he expands upon the 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 picture of Christ. uh, Really unique. There's a real beauty that's painted by Christ in Colossians, and uh, I was just just discussing before class. There's a real beauty to the language that that Paul paints of Christ. Paul was cross-cultural, although he was Jewish and and raised as a a, trained as a Pharisee. Uh, he was probably born in Tarsus and, and, and grew up in a Greek culture. So he was very comfortable flowing in and out of Judaism and in and out of the Greek culture. Prior to coming to the Lord uh, on the road to Damascus, he was a persecutor of the church. He was a convert when Christ appeared to him on the road. Um, really, What's interesting is, you know, Outside of John in Revelation, Paul is the only apostle to see the risen Christ in his glory in heaven. Paul has a unique view view of Christ in that sense the apostles. He knew the men, and perhaps even observed Christ, we don't know, but in his human ministry on earth, he knew one-to-one the men that knew Christ, okay? But Paul also was one of those that, on the road to Damascus, and even in the in the desert, we think that he saw the risen Christ in His glory, standing at the right hand of the Father. He's an apostle to Jesus Christ, an apostle to the Gentiles, missionary. And again, we saw him being the author. Now, what's interesting is an apostle. An apostle is a messenger. Uh, if, if my son comes and tells me, "Dad, it's hot outside," he's a messenger, right? A messenger comes with the authority the one sent him. That's what an apostle is. So Paul comes bringing a message, bringing a message from someone, from God, and that message has authority, and he has the authority of that message that he's bringing to those people. He's not the one in authority in that sense. He's not the authority. He's not God. It's not Paul's word, but his words have authority because of the one for whom he's carrying in the message. And we see that he is an apostle by the will of God. It is through the will of God. It's not Paul's will, right? God, when, when, Paul, when uh, God came, he told, um, help me out, uh, who in Damascus went, Ananias, not Ananias, it was uh, the one, he, Paul said, God told the man he sent to Paul, I will show him what he must suffer for me, right? It was God's will that Paul was to be an apostle. You get the feeling that it's not something Paul would have chosen in and of himself, even as a convert, right? He was willing, he was joyful, but it was God's will that he become an apostle. It wasn't necessarily something Paul strived for. And Paul says that he, he appears to be writing it, in Timothy, our brother... Timothy, well, he was a young man. He probably came to the Lord perhaps under Paul if he was not already a believer under his grandmother Eunice and his, his mother Lois. Uh, you get the feeling that Timothy is one of those individuals that when he was, when he was old and gray, he, he probably was able to say, there was never a time I didn't know the Lord. I think that's a, that, that is a neat thing that some of our children who raised at church will be able to say. Yes, there's a time they crossed from death into life, but in their mind, there was a never a time they didn't know the Lord. And I think that was Timothy's case. Paul says, You learned the scriptures as a youth from, your, from the faith that resided in your grandmother and your mother. He was a young man. He had a Jewish mother, a Greek father. Matter of fact, Paul was the one that had to circumcise him so he'd be accepted by the Jews in Jerusalem. He knew the Lord in the youth. He was godly, he had a believing heritage in a church. He was a companion of Paul. We think that perhaps he was the the scribe. He maybe wrote Paul dictated and Timothy wrote, but it was Paul's book. And really after this, we don't see much of Timothy. All the nouns become first person singular when Paul's or second person singular when Paul's writing. Or first person. The Colossians themselves, saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father right? Recipients. Paul identifies the Colossians. They were saints and faithful, or maybe this way. Saints, even the faithful ones, right? Saints are really a special class of people, right? Who are the special class? Those set apart by God for God. Those people claimed by God. If you know Jesus Christ, you are a saint. A saint is not the person in the old pictures with the halo around his his head. A saint is not someone declared to be a saint by the Roman Catholic Church, right? I don't, you know, if you know Christ, you are a saint. It's not because of necessarily your conduct or your behavior or the glow around your head. Saint means set apart. It's a simple statement of who you are in Christ, And they're faithful. Not that there's unfaithful saints, so to speak. that's not what he's saying. He's saying to be a saint is to be faithful in Christ. To be a saint is to have salvation through faith. That's what he's saying. right? So, to those brothers... I wrote it this way. To those brothers and sisters in Colossae, set apart, even faithful in Christ. Okay, One class of people. It... it you think about it, Paul's writing a corrective letter here. Okay? This is a corrective letter. There's, there's some falsehoods going on. They're in danger of going down the wrong road and, and having a false view of Christ. Paul's writing a corrective letter. But there's a gentleness to this letter that, is, that really comes through in the whole book. We'll see it next week in the Thanksgiving. But there's a, even how he addresses them up front. The book of Galatians, right? He says Paul, and a, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he lays it out to the churches of Galatia, Bam, what is what is on your mind to be doing these things? Galatians is that's paraphrased. This is, you know, Galatians is very much a smack in the nose. It's a corrective book too. With Colossians, not so. It's a gentle book, and you really and Paul doesn't know them. Paul's never seen them as we'll see. He's never seen them face to face, but there is grandchildren, and cares for them. He cares if they have the right view of Christ, and then he, he, he ends it with a blessing, uh, which is very very similar. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. In the ancient world, it was very common to end, end a letter or to, to end the salutation with the written, it "said grace to you." You know, it's, It was favor towards you. It was a very common word. But Paul didn't just say grace to you. What he says is grace to you and peace from God our Father. Only true favor, as Tom said last week, can come from God. And only true peace can come from God. Right? It's a unique blessing putting his hand upon them as they're reading the letter in that sense and saying grace to you and peace from God our Father. Let's see. Now, let's look here. So why did Paul write this letter to the saints in Colossae? A papyrus who had uh, established a church. There had been a problem. He'd come against some false teaching. There was danger in the church in Colossae, maybe even Laodicea in that c- the other city of Heropolis. He didn't quite know how to h- handle it. He had been diligent. But he says, I need to go for help. I need to go for help. Epaphras was probably the spiritual child of Paul, right? He'd been used by the Lord to establish these grandchildren, these believers. The Church of Colossae was probably established mid-50s, 52-55, right after Paul was at Ephesus. Now, it's, it's five or six years later after that fact, okay? Paul had returned from the third missionary journey. He'd gone to, up to Jerusalem. Been a big ruckus. Been taken down to Caesarea Philippi. Had demanded... To, be, to appeal to Caesar and been taken to Rome, so he's in Rome. Now there's this problem. So it's five or six years later, and the church was encountering this false teaching. Epaphras had been diligent, but the church was in jeopardy. So what does Epaphras do? He goes for help. Paul tells, or Epaphras comes and tells Paul the dangers he's encountered. Okay, and we don't know exactly what the heresy is. We don't know. Okay? We know that it has something to do with the day was material is bad, spiritual is good. Okay? There's a group called the Gnostics. Evil came from material. So if evil came from material, then only the spiritual could be good. Well, what does that lead to? Could Christ truly be man? Well, you begin to question the true humanity of Christ. Okay. Then, if the body is bad, what do I have to do? Well, I have to be severe with it. I have to discipline it. I have to put it down. Right? I have to do certain things to it to put my physical body down so that the spiritual can be good. Okay, And maybe I need to do some religious rites. Maybe I need to keep some feast like the Jews did. Because then I'll, I'll really have a better spirit. Spiritual understanding to really understand Christianity. So there's there's some flavors of this that we see, but but we don't know exactly what the error is. One of the commentators said, you know, if we could if we just had a, a more exact understanding of the heresy, we could more exactly interpret this book. Well, I I think that's the point. All right? That's the point. We we don't need to know the exact heresy, the exact error, because we encounter many types of errors today. When Paul comes, he writes a letter to instruct them how to overcome it. He doesn't deal point by point with a heresy. He doesn't deal point by point with, like, each verse of the Jehovah's Witness gets wrong. Not that it's not important to understand that. He doesn't go to the Book of Mormon and deal with all the different falsehoods and all the problems Joe Smith had, so to speak. what he does come He comes and he paints a right view of Jesus Christ. He paints a right view of his preeminence, a right view of his deity, a right view of his humanity. He paints the right view of Jesus Christ being the source. He gives a right view of Jesus Christ. And with a right view of Jesus Christ, with having a correct Christology, that becomes the answer. We talked about it before when we looked at the uh, about, as Scripture, right? How do you learn what true money is? How, how do they teach people to, to find counterfeit? You handle the truth over and over and over again. They give them bill after bill after bill after bill of good currency. And only after they've handled currency over and over again do they slip them a falsehood. Now, you may not know what's right or what's me, what's wrong when you grasp that bill. You may not know what's wrong when you hear something, but you know it's not right. And that's what Paul does. He paints the truth. And that's why it's important for us to, to learn this book, to know this book, to understand who Christ is, what he's the source of, what he did, right? why he is preeminent. And then we encounter untruth. We encounter different things. We pass it through that grid, and we're able to know whether it's right or wrong. Okay, you know w- one point here. Let's 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 go, back, go Let's look real quick at verse one. I want to talk one thing. I, I think it's Paul lays it out uh, there. That first two verses, in verse two, Paul says this to the saints and faithful brothers, what? In Christ, at Colossae. And I don't want to make too much of this, but really, it's the same word, in Christ and at Colossae. The words in and at are actually the exact same word. Okay. So when I read that, I'm thinking, you know, Paul's writing them. He says, you're in Colossae. You exist in the material world, the world with the cobblestone streets that need to be repaired, and the world where you're making wool and dyes and and, and you're living and breathing. And you're in Colossae. That's a real material world. And you're saints there who are faithful. But you're also in Christ. And in Christ, you're saints who are faithful. So in the material world, The Colossians existed. And the material and in the world of Christ, they existed. They were at home in both. I think Paul kind of deals with that right up front. And so that's the question. We too are in Christ. We too live in a created world. We are material creatures. We are created in God's image to live in relation with Him in a physical world. Right? So how are we to rightly live in this world? How are we to rightly live? How are we to guard against a- a- error? How are we to answer rightly for our faith? How are we to live rightly in Dallas, Texas? Right. Well, I just like the Colossians, who were faithful saints in Colossae, in Colossae, in this world in Christ. we're well, the same way? We're to live set apart for God, claimed by him in this world and in Christ and that's the answer so we're going to go through uh, the book, we'll spend the next eight weeks we will work our way through and we will uh, hopefully come to a better understanding of how to have a right view of the preeminence of Jesus Christ and how to live that out as God's people any questions? any thoughts? You know, what you might do next week is, is read, this, read this epistle just like uh, Paul meant it to be read. Sit down and read it. Probably take you, uh, uh, it'll take you less than 20 minutes. Probably take you four minutes a chapter. All right? Maybe, maybe five minutes a chapter. Just sit down and read it. Don't necessarily stop and ponder. But just read it. Read it through. And when you've read it through one time, you know what? Read it again. Read it through a few times, just like they would have. You know, read it out loud. Go outside when no one can hear you and, and just read it out loud. It, it, it flows beautifully, and, and it really is a a, uh, a neat thing to do. Anything else? Yes, sir. Bill. I appreciate what you're saying about Timothy because so many young people are like Feel a bit embarrassed. They don't have a sensational testimony that they weren't the depths of drug use. Saved from that, but I need to be more solid people. Those who were raised by godly parents. So, uh, yeah, there's nothing shameful about being able to say I, I never knew. Or I never knew a time I didn't know Christ. Yeah, I think that's uh, um, that's that's a blessing. I think Gordon, I think Charlene, I think that's in that in that where you come from, that kind of situation. Yeah, for times yeah, well, that's that's all right. He didn't, right? And I, I think that's a that's a, that's the, should be the prayer for our children. Um, I don't want them to have a, a, a wild and hairy testimony. I'm a sweet testament. Where I always knew the Lord. My little Sarah said that. Dad, I I always known Him. <laughs> right? Well, let There's a time you cross from death into life. Uh, the Lord knows that. What's important to know is is that you're in light in the light now, right? Do you believe? That's the question. Not did you believe, but do you believe? And that's the question that we need to, to answer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day. Again, we thank you for this book. Lord, I pray that you would uh, guide us through it over the next few weeks, that we'd be faithful to its message. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Lord, I pray your blessing upon the message to come this morning. I pray that you be with Steve, that he would speak uh, your words well. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.